it's just so freaking easy to get data in a data warehouse and to push that data to some sort of activation you know platform that you can get that value quite quickly. It doesn't have to be a complex implementation. Just just to start cutting in a couple segments and having customized journeys, and I think you'll find like value very, very, very quickly. You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. I'm thrilled today to have our guest, Scott Brighton-Nather, on our podcast here today. Scott, you know, thanks for joining us. I was a little scared you were going to say, you know, we usually have the best and brightest, but everyone was busy because of the holidays, so we've got Scott. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that that wasn't the landing. It's good to be on. So so I'm, I'm CEO and founder of Brooklyn Data. We're a data analytics consultancy that works with companies all shapes and sizes to help them with their uh, data capabilities. Yes, and, and, and Scott and I have um, known each other for quite some time. You know, back in the day, Scott uh, ran data uh, and analytics for um, you know a mattress company called Casper that some of you may have heard of. You know, and he's since moved on to start uh, you know his you know his. I want to call it a new gig, but it's been around for quite some time. It's actually you know incredibly actually, established. I have been at I have been at Brooklyn Data longer than I was at Casper. Uh, and are you but is Brooklyn like Data months, bigger than but, you guys bigger than hundred people now? We're pretty much exactly 100 people. Wow, that's 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 it's, it's wild. I mean, we're, so we're four year, four years and change uh, old, and uh, and we're starting 2023 at at um, 100 people. It's, it's like wild. I can't even like very cool, wild, but very wild. That's great. Well, congrats to that, Scott. And 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 for our listeners today, we have an incredibly exciting topic uh, on the show. You know, our big question uh, is all around. You know, our New Year's resolutions, you know, and with the macro economy the way it is, you know, many of us are you know, looking at the same set of goals or the same shape of goals, I should say, heading into uh, mm-hmm. you know, now that we're fully into 2023. With 2022, we obviously saw a huge reset uh, around uh, macro expectations, around, you know, you know core efficiency goals, uh, you know, and these trends are only, uh, you know, getting stronger and the pressure is only increasing as we head into what doesn't seem to be like you know any better of an economy on January second, uh, yeah, than it was uh, on December uh, you know, 29th when we were all last in the office. Remember that day was. You know, really on today's show, we're going to talk about what this actually means. We're going to talk about you know customer lifetime value. We're going to talk about your know, return on ad spend. Uh, we're going to talk about you know customer acquisition costs. We're going to run the gamut. Uh, and really, it's going to go top down. Uh, you know, we will you know, explain what these things actually are, you know, how to think about them, yep. you, know, you know, draw from, you know, from Scott's experience at Casper, Scott's experience all across the hundreds and hundreds of customers that he's worked on, worked with at Brooklyn Data. Uh, and then we're going to get into, you know, how you measure it appropriately, how you optimize it, how you improve it, uh, and really just go through the entire life cycle, you know, focusing on some of the data foundations uh, you know, this Scott and Brooklyn Data Company have really uh, become so adept at, you know, over the last, you know, four plus years and 100 people. Uh, yeah, so so with that, you know, Scott, why don't we just roll into what some of these core metrics are, you know, and some of the changes you saw you know, last year, whereas maybe in, in Q1 of 2022, you know, people were talking about, you know, optimizing top line growth, you know, now they're looking to really look at you know, what their customers are worth, you know, and, and talk about that shift and, and what some of these new metrics are. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like, I feel like the 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 metrics haven't changed as much as people I'd like to think are starting to realize that averages lie. That 
you know, a blended LTV is not necessarily what you should be targeting. It should be targeting LTV for certain segments in your core segments. There are folks that, you know, it's like whenever, whenever the, the, the economy or, or your business is struggling, you kind of make the decisions you should have been making all along, but but didn't really have the pressure to make. And so it's like, do we want to target every single segment? Probably not. Do we want to target a blended LTV? Probably not. Are there 60% of your customers that are driving, or even less, are there less than 50% of your customers that are driving 90% of your revenue? Probably. And so I think that's what what people are starting to do is they're trying to be starting to be thoughtful, starting to segment, starting to like, um, I guess when, when everything is up, you can just like blast and like or spray and pray. And I think people are starting to be a lot more thoughtful, same metrics, but it, it, it's, it's, I guess like focus and segmentation. Yeah. So let's maybe break this down in, into an example. Maybe I'll sort of, you know, you know tee yeah. something off and you can run with it. If in the old world, you said your customer was worth, you know, 12 bucks and your lifetime value is 12 bucks. Uh, mm-hmm. And from there, you set your ad budgets accordingly. Yeah. What you're saying here is that, look, not all customers are worth twelve dollars. You know, some might be worth eight, and others might be worth fifteen, and some uh, might be worth know, so, so, one or negative one. Yep. How do you unpack that? How do you pick that apart? You know, how do you know you know which customers are going to be worth which, and you know what does that look like? I mean, it's it's a segmentation exercise, and I and and I can I'm you know, admittedly, the data guy in the room, and so for me, the big drivers. Get all your data in one place. You know, it's extremely difficult to impossible to do a segmentation exercise if you don't have this kind of concept of a 360 of your customers in a central location. And again, like, again, data guy in the room, so to be very transparent, and my suggestion is to get into a data warehouse, is to get everything you know about a customer, whether it's sales, returns, visits to your website, customer support, Get it all in one place and start to segment everything you know about the customers. And, you know, it is art and science. It is, it is, it is kind of talking to your customers. It's, it's the hypotheses that your team know that has. It's, it's your customer support team and your marketing team will have hypotheses. And then work with your data team to really segment and identify who are those core segments. And then I think what you'll find is that, um, is is that when you look at those core segments, to your point, Jason, you have some segments that are extremely positive and some that are low to negative. And it's interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll give a kind of quick plug. I, I saw uh, Neil Ho- Neil Hoyne from Google um, do a talk a couple months ago at, at Marketing Analytics Data Science. He's got this great book called Converted, which just kind of really digs into the segmentation um, exercise. But it, it truly, once you fu- once you look at the data, you'll find that not all customers are created equal, and you don't want to fight for every single customer because some of them will lose. And, and you didn't have to in, in the world where money was cheap and people were, you know, just throwing money, like, you know, everything was up to the right. But when that's, that's not a given, you have to be a lot more thoughtful. Yeah, 100%. And Scott, I, don't, I don't know if you have any examples from you know, customers you worked with where, you know, you, you put this customer 360 in place, you know, with new segmentation abilities, and they sort of had an aha moment, you know, in that, look, you know, not every one of my customers is actually worth $12. There's a much sort of, you know, you know more nuanced way of looking at things. I think the the easiest example is I think we've gotten so tempted. I think actually there's been a little bit of a pullback here, but over the last few years, just like inundate um, customers with discount codes. You know, at this point, everybody's trained to add something to cart. You know, 
wait a day and get a code. And I think you might find that who's doing that, there's a subset of people that are doing that, of customers that are doing that and are only doing that. And then you might also find that your biggest and your most profitable customers don't care. And it's, it's like little examples like that. I think that there are there's just a class of, of, of customers out there that that are that are a group of customers that are just looking for deals and, and just less attached to the brand and more more attached to um, discounts. But I think you also find that there's a subset in there that are probably attached to the brand that don't care about the discount. And if you didn't send the discount, they'd still convert. 100%. You know, I know this time of year, you know, many of our e-commerce customers are looking at exactly that data. You know, so let's look at you everyone who it. bought on the discount over Black Friday. Yeah. Uh, and let's look at everyone who didn't. You know, and now let's look at the repeat purchase cohorts. You know, because the fact of the matter is if you, if, you sell, if you acquire someone through deep discount during Black Friday, you probably don't have much margin on that sale. You know, if the goal of that sale is to get them to go and engage with the brand and buy again, then you need to be able to build these you know, longer term you know, you know, segments outside of just did they buy on Black Friday, did they buy again in January or maybe for Valentine's Day or maybe for March or for April and be able to track that over time and having that data you know, is, is critical. But I would say it also, it, it requires a lot of discipline because the reason we all got in this space is it's like an arms race of just like throw another coupon. It's a really great way to just like juice the juice the numbers and get guaranteed kind of you know, increase in sales, but it is kind of this drug that you get hooked on and it's harder and harder to get out. And so it really takes discipline. And, and, you know, I I was saying this earlier, but I mean, the more you can test it to give, give the company, you know, give your organization confidence that this is the right move, like do a holdout test on some of your, your discounting strategies and, and, and and see where it lands. Because sometimes you do need those discounts, but, but I would say if you're thoughtful, you test, you can be smart about it and I think reset the playing field because it's just not sustainable the level of discounting that a lot of brands have been doing over the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, no, 100%. One thing we've also seen from some of our savvier customers is just you know, actually setting up what we call longitudinal holdouts. You know, mm-hmm. So let's look at uh, you know, how you're training customers to look for coupons and you know, not just asking you know, what's the effect of one sale on a customer, but let's ask what's the sale of you actually seeing emails every single you know, week for a brand that you used to pay full price. And now mm-hmm. you see it's discounted 50 to 60% off you know, every other month. You know, and with a longitudinal holdout, you can actually uh, you know, you run those discounts, but only on a specific set of people. And then you can measure you know, what was the difference in value for those who who received the you know received the, the more deep deeper discounts? Maybe they bought more dollars yeah. you know, dollar wise, but their profits were lower. You know, as opposed to folks who uh, you know didn't you know you know, didn't see any of the discounts, uh, maybe bought a little bit less. You know, but maintained those full uh, you know those full dollar purchases with much much higher margins and better sustainability. Yeah, and I think to, to that point, I, I think to the extent that it's possible to measure the success of your campaigns with gross profit instead of uh, the kind of sales or gross revenue. And, and I think this is a great, and this is actually a, a great example as well to dive into. You know, you know, one of the big things that you know I've certainly been passionate about over the over the last several years, and I know Scott, you and I have a, a shared passion for this, is just thinking about you know, you know representing customer data in its totality. One of the challenges with a lot of MarTech systems is that they're overly reliant on the website pixel or website tags. Yeah. Um, you know, and if, if one of the things you're trying to optimize is for the margins of your products, well, there's no world in which you, know, you can collect that from tags because even yeah. from a 
a business uh, IP perspective, you're not going to be putting your product margins on your website for your competitors yep. to see. Uh, yeah. yeah. So this yeah, really just represents, you know, especially in this in today's economy, a new way of thinking about your data. You know, because revenue is not sufficient, you really want to be asking, are you actually making profits on that revenue? Yeah, I, I, totally. I, I mean, 100%. It, it is... It's kind of shocking when you realize that you, there are again there's a subset of your of your customers that you lose money on and and you never recoup it. It's it's not like one of those things you lose on the first transaction. You lose on every transaction because they they're trained and they look for discounts. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and look in old world you know, to your your example around you know, having uh, you know, moving from a segment of one you know, to a much new, more nuanced segmentation perspective. Uh, yeah. you know, if you sell a hundred dollars worth of product in the old world, well, if your overall margins were were eighty percent, then or twenty percent rather, than that'd be twenty bucks of profit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in reality, you know, uh, a sale that's forty percent off versus a sale that's full price, you know, they're very, very different sales with very different margins. Totally. And I think you know, on one order, it doesn't really matter. But you know, when you when you extrapolate that to your total you know, all the transactions you're doing in a week or a month, I mean, it's it just, it is kind of shocking. The, you know, single percentage point gains you know, on your margins are huge. And I think, you know, when you start to focus on that, but it, it again, it requires the discipline to, I guess, look deeper into the funnel. You're the, the acquis the acquisition team's job is not just to land people on the website. It's to land qualified customers on the website that will pay full price and to kind of monitor that all the way through the transaction gross profit and lifetime value, which is tough. But again, yeah. it, it starts by having all the data in one place. And like you said, it, it's it's the website visits, it's the transaction data, it's customer support. I, I used to feel like when I was in the Casper days, you know, it was only a couple years in that we truly built a web uh, a data warehouse and and pushed that into our um, kind of you know we use Simon Data. But now there really is no reason not to do it from like near day one. It's just so freaking easy to get data in a data warehouse and to push that data to some sort of activation, you know, platform that you can get that value quite quickly. It doesn't have to be a complex implementation. Just just to start cutting in a couple segments and having customized journeys. And I think you'll find like value very, very, very quickly. hundred percent, Scott. And what what would be your sort of you know, your, your advice for you know for listeners who maybe will sort of start in two buckets. The first is for listeners on the marketing side, you know, who uh -huh. realize they need to get a warehouse, but they haven't been able to prioritize it. What would you be what, what would be your advice for those folks? I you know be a little bit of a squeaky wheel and, and but a squeaky wheel with 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 numbers come run some hypothetical like run some back of the envelope math on on some improvement opportunities you think are out there or like back of the envelope analysis on lifetime value and so it's like hey I just did this with a little bit of effort give me a little bit of like a little bit of data team help or bring in a consultancy like Brooklyn Data to to get you up to you know that data warehouse I would I would say like get started you in a month, you can have data in a in a you know data warehouse and push to uh, push to your kind of activation channel like assignment data and and running a campaign. Um, you could probably even do it faster if you really focus. But um, it's just I guess it's so easy for to think I guess from a marketer that this is you know challenging or or, or it's hard. It is it is maybe this is again maybe it's doing myself a disservice. It's not as hard as it looks. It is not that hard to start and from you know zero to one and get the data in the data warehouse and start start pushing um kind of uh, customized and personalized marketing campaigns 
And we've talked you know, so far a lot about uh, some of the use cases around segmentation, around the technical capabilities, but maybe you can talk a bit about you know, when you see teams really you know, leverage their data properly across, you know, you know, across their data teams, across, you know, into their marketing team. What does that look like, you know, for any folks on the marketing or the data side, for that matter, who are trying to, you know, figure out how to best, you know, design the organization, how to best, you know, you know, you know collaborate, yeah. uh, you know, across, um, across the aisle, you know, when have you seen this work, uh, you know, and what are some, you know, some, some, you know, what's some advice you'd, you'd give our listeners? Yeah, I would say the, where I've seen it not work, is where the 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 marketers they want to do something personalized. They have to put a ticket in. Maybe it'll be next sprint or the following sprint or a few sprints, and it, and it just takes forever to you can't the the speed of iteration and the number of iterations is just so slow. That's where it doesn't work out when it, you know you're iterating in months or quarters. Where it does work out is 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 through kind of teamwork and technology. You're able to experiment and spin up campaigns quite quickly. And and I think how that's how how I've seen that take take kind of you know manifest is that having dedicated data team resources like dedicated to the marketing teams and have that kind of swim lane that I'm not quite sure what the marketing team is going to ask for this week, but I'm going to collaborate with them and I'm going to iterate with them and I'm going to get the right data in there for them. And we're going to experiment. So it isn't just like put a ticket in and some random person will take it out of the stack. You should have dedicated bandwidth and people within the data organization that are focused on marketing. And it's really cool stuff because like, you know, from a data perspective, it's like, where else can you see the power and the impact of what you do? instantaneously turn into dollars than kind of working with marketing. The second is to is to make sure you've got a suite of tools that are really user-friendly for the marketers. I mean, you know, I, I think there is the iteration of quickly being able to get data into those tools, but also having a tool that a marketer feels really comfortable working in and creating segments. And, you know, there's always a category of work that, requires a technical resource to get data in or do something cha- changes but there should also be a big category of of kind of work that the marketers can self-serve and so creating an environment and that's tool selection it's it's kind of data model underneath the tool that the the, the data team is working on but it's really is that like dedicated data resources for marketing and then in creating a implementing a platform in such a way that the marketers are self-service to iterate themselves yeah, no, I mean, I, I, this is this is exactly what we see as well, Scott. And I think one of the one of the interesting points that I think is important to call out is, is the interplay between technology and people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't have the right technology in place, then your teams might be collaborating every single day. You know, but if your marketing team is trying to develop a new segment or get some basic insights around a new campaign, they should have the technology and the tools today to do that on their own. You know, where the two sides should come together is you know is really. Uh, aligning on you know data strategy, new data fields, you know what more needs to be collected, sort of you know, more nuanced and advanced insights around you know what's exactly the reactions that consumers are having to dis- various discounting strategies, the sort of second order and, and, and harder analytical problems. You know, it's those sort of strategic yeah. uh, decisions where the two sides should come together. You know, but the daily operational business as usual type of stuff, you find your teams having to collaborate. You know, ten you know ten points a day. You know, it's great that they're collaborating well, but you, can, you know, that's also what you should ask about your technology strategy. I agree. I think too often it's like you kind of view your marketing stack and your data stack is completely separate. I kind of think it is like 
The marketing stack is nothing more than like a BI tool. I mean, it, it or I guess it should have that level of integration with the data stack. Like how I deliver values and you know value to my data stakeholders to make decisions using dashboards is part data modeling in the warehouse and part in the BI tool, and they work together. You can't do one without the other. You can't architect one and then we'll architect the other. You have to architect it end to end. And similarly speaking, you have to architect your marketing stack as end to end. It isn't a throw over the fence exercise. It's like, oh, here's our common, you know, data model in, in the data warehouse. Plug into it, marketing team. It's like, okay, marketing team, I want to understand your requirements so that I can build a common data model that supports you and the rest of the business and empowers you to do what you do best without kind of having to jerry rig with like um, five joins and bringing all these different tables together, like. You are a stakeholder, and I need to design, you know, my data model, my data stack with your needs in mind. A hundred percent. Yeah, and 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 the key here, I think, is look. There's also a you know requirement to you know, to think about what some of the key use cases might be, then make map them back to the data requirements that you know, can you know make those use cases happen. You know, and I think you know, it's very interesting every year as sort of you know, data technology you know improves. Uh, and that, you know, as some of these marketing use cases, you know, a bit, are a bit more well understood. Hopefully this podcast here today will you know, yeah. help some of our customers have a, you know, uh, you know, help, you know, some of our listeners rather have a better understanding around, you know, LTV and, and ROAS, you know, but as that matures, then, you know, the two sides are more easily to, are, are able to more easily collaborate. A hundred percent. And I also think that the, the, the marketing stack is not only a destination, but it's a source too. I mean, like there's so much rich data that we should be pulling back from your kind of your marketing stack upstream into your warehouse to create a fuller picture of the of the customer and to do analysis to, to service insights your BI tool that you know marketing insights and sales insights and CX insights all in one place even like and then push it back out to your you know customer support channels like you know your CX team should be kind of getting smarter from the data that you're you're of your kind of from the marketing campaigns like everybody should be getting smarter in the organization from having a better better picture of your customers right look and at the end of the day um you know anything is possible you know when you when you think about what you're trying to do on the data side yeah. uh, obviously you know if, if you're trying to figure out you know, what is your customer thinking when they open when they when they unbox your product? That's going to be a little bit hard. But stepping outside the confines of the data you already have, you know, asking what you could potentially measure, uh, you know, asking what you know, incremental data you could support from a, a call center or anything else. These things are all possible today, and there's a tremendous amount of, of off-the-shelf infrastructure that can make it a lot easier than it was even two years ago. Totally, I, I feel like. I kind of wish I could use the data stack and my knowledge and my experience today and go back in time and redo everything I did at Casper. Because I feel like eight years ago, it felt like the Wild West and data and CDPs and MarTech. Um, and everyone's kind of figuring out, I think now we've kind of landed on paradigms and we've landed on things that work. And so I think what we do at Brooklyn Data really well is is to kind of understand what those paradigms are, get someone very quickly to a best-in-class data stack and and not have the data sitting on shelf somewhere actually have that data you know driving dashboards to drive decisions and driving campaigns to to personalize and doing that within you know weeks not months or years and and it's yeah. it can be done i mean it's people are doing it all like all over the world now it's it's um because that's what the smart companies are doing they're they're being very sophisticated and they're they're having data not sit on a shelf and gather dust they're having it drive value yeah, you know, Scott. Last last section before we 
uh, you know, close out today. Uh, you know, if you were to have this discussion again with anyone in the world, who would it be and why? Yeah, that's a that's a whew, that's a really great question. Um, I mean, I think Brooklyn is interesting. We 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 work with everything from digitally native brands, um, econ brands to large financial services, healthcare, and, and, you know, large publicly traded companies and everywhere in between. And it's interesting because we feel like um, a lot of people, you know, wherever you are in the spectrum, you're all, a lot of the companies are thinking of the same problems. And I would say like, I, I, I would love to to have a chat with some of the kind of the, I guess, more like, I guess, historically slower moving um, industries like, you know, banking, healthcare, and and really understand how they're thinking about this kind of stuff. Because I think what we're definitely noticing across all of our clients, especially the the customers that are in the heavily regulated space, um, that they are themselves starting to think more about personalization, lifecycle marketing. It's it's very interesting. I'd love to have have a have, if I can if I can have a conversation with multiple people with like a group of folks from kind of larger, more traditional brands, especially in the heavily regulated sectors, to really understand how they're thinking about this stuff because you know they're they're only a couple years behind the digitally native brands, but it, it I, I sense that they are already starting to get become quite savvy and thoughtful and realize that this is the future. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Because historically, a lot of the you know, issues around governance and controls have made personalization hard. You know, just from a, a regulatory perspective, but you know, with increased pressures around what we're talking about, this is obviously all changing. So that's yeah, that makes a ton of sense. It, you know, these issues don't just impact ecom, like the the economy. Every single like industry is having to get savvier and more thoughtful, and it it, it is it's really cool to see these kind of again historically like I guess um, more conservative industries really kind of build this muscle. It's very cool. Great. Uh, well, thanks for that, Scott. And uh, and thank you for coming on the podcast today and sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, you know, really, when I reflect on this conversation, it's about, uh, you know, resetting to you know, a new reality. Uh, you know, I know, you know, last year was, you know, the start of this reset, but I think heading into this year, I know many of our customers and, uh, you know, many folks who are looking to uh, you know, really optimize and rethink, you know, some of their core, uh, you know, marketing goals have uh, I'm really just you know, reset materially. Uh, and now it's time to double down on execution. You know, totally. So you know, really appreciate uh, the insight, um, Scott, around what you're seeing in the market, uh, best practices, you know, you know, and 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 all the changes you've seen uh, over the last several years that have made optimizing some of these problems, you know, all that much, you know, you know all, all that much easier. Uh, yeah. You know, so with this, you know, you know, Scott, maybe you know, a quick plug for anyone um, you know, listening who wants to learn more about you or Brooklyn Data Co. Cool. Thanks. Well, yeah. So check out brooklyndata.co. You know, we, we're helping companies of all shapes and sizes really become data driven. And um, it does feel like in this world, no matter what industry you are, and especially with kind of the where the economy is going, it's like being data driven is a differentiator. And so what we, we're really, really good at is coming in at, at companies of all shapes and sizes, helping them build that muscle, that best in class muscle really quickly. And so I say, check out Brooklyn Data. We work in all industries. You know, we're hundred or so, hundred folks at the moment. Um, and um, we, I'm always happy to chat data. Feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm Scott at brooklyndata.co. Great. Uh, and thank you to everyone listening to this episode of the Data Unlocked podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Simon Data, please visit us on the web at simondata.com or email us at hello at simondata. You've been listening to the Data Unlocked. 
You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.